listening, fighting me back at it again. I know that it's my fault, but you don't understand. I got memories, this is crazy. You ain't nothing like the girl I used to know. Good with Mark, good with Park, cool with all my dudes. I should try to this, I wanna let you in. Damn these memories, it's crazy. You ain't nothing like the girl I used to know. Cause I really wanna work this out, cause I'm tired of fighting. And I really hope you still want me the way that I want you. I said I really wanna work this out, damn bro, I'm trying. It's no excuse, no excuse. I got this ice box where my heart used to be. I got this ice box where my heart used to be. Uh, ooh, I'm so cold, I'm so cold. Uh, ooh, I'm so cold, I'm so cold. I'm so damn cold. I'm really cold, damn. It's like an ice box. So damn cold. Like the freezer. Why can't I get it right? Just can't let it go. I opened up, she let me down. I won't feel this no more. I got memories. This crazy. She ain't nothing like the girl I used to know. I don't really wanna take you out, baby, but I can't help it. Cause my heart is in the same old condition that baby I left. <laughs> and I apologize for making you cry. Look me in the eyes. Realize, realize. Cause I really wanna work this out, cause I'm tired of fighting. Fighting. And I really hope you still want me the way I want you. <laughs> I said I really wanna work this out, and well, I'm trying. No excuse, no excuse, guys. I got this ice box where my heart used to be. I got this ice box where my heart used to be. Oh, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. Oh, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. I don't wanna be stuck up in this cold, cold world. I don't wanna be stuck up in this cold damn world. Don't wanna mess this up. Better keep your eye. On me, girl. Ooh, ah, ah, I'm so cold. I'm so cold. I'm so cold. Ah, I'm so cold, I'm so cold, I'm so cold. What's going on everyone? Episode 33 of High Top Flip Flops. It is Chris, aka Chris, aka not Chris, aka the Temel Hemingway, aka Mr. Date Your Girl with you, aka bash me outside because I'm fight, I just get beat up, aka Lil Poopy Dirt. I'm here with Nivek. Hey, it's Nivek, aka Nivape, aka Mr. Run Up on Your Girl, Say Hello, Then Run Away, aka Aziz Bansari, aka the Tamil Tyrese. And we have a, a guest here today. Um, do you do you have any AKAs for yourself? Okay, you all do... of your AKAs are like way cooler than mine. Uh, I'm uh, Alex Ordanis, aka Anthony Suvlakis, aka Boom. Alejandro Ordanchez. Boom. 
that's as far as I go, though. That's okay, man. But maybe by the end of this episode, we'll have some more for you. Okay. Uh, who knows? Uh, but Alex or Dennis, um, I'm perhaps about to butcher this completely. But from what I understand, you've uh, done a substantial amount of work in some cinematography. You like to work with film. Being in your apartment right now, shout out to you for hosting this no episode problem. in your apartment. Welcome. We also see that there's a lot of uh, musical equipment in here. So yes. we'll maybe talk to you about that as well. But... Uh, how are you today, man? I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, it's uh, I think it's almost near December, and I can still bike outside without too much uh, pain. So that's it's, right. It's kind of a beautiful fall day today. That's right. On that's three, let's all say yay for global warming. One, two, three. Yay, yay for global warming. Oh, that's shit. Right. <laughs> Sorry about Shout that. out global warming. <laughs> Shout out global warming. It's, uh, it's really holding us down. Shout right. out Al Gore real quick. Yeah. <laughs> he had that documentary we all hated to watch in seventh grade, but... It's all reality now. It's so. all Is he coming <laughs> up with a follow-up called, like, Still Inconvenient <laughs> <laughs> Truth? It starts with him just being like, I told you so, <laughs> but let's keep it moving. Um, <laughs> everyone might be the case. Uh, Welcome to uh, the Annex slash Seton Village. It okay. depends uh, what you want to consider this area. It goes by two aliases. Okay, so. and what do you prefer to consider? Uh, I like Seton Village because uh, not a lot of people... It's like it's honestly like this one little block of the Annex, yeah. and uh, you, I wouldn't know that unless it was for Google Maps. Okay. Shout out Google Maps. Yeah. Mm, What's yeah. uh top three places to eat in Seton Village? Well, it's kind of funny. I think the most famous place is this place just up the street from um, this undisclosed recording location okay. <laughs> uh, called uh, Vesta Lunch, which is like one okay. of the few 24-hour places in Toronto. Nice. So it's like a... It's not great, but it's like it's there. It's noteworthy, I suppose. Right. Um, yeah, other than that, it's uh, this is kind of like... It's like the most residential feel you can have in Toronto while still being like, you know, like five or six minute walk from the one line, which yeah, is yeah, like, yeah pretty great you yeah can, that's you the biggest can kind of get places pretty quick yeah fair enough mm-hmm. for anyone who's not from toronto listening all this is gibberish to you but hey it's okay <laughs> if you're from toronto it's great you're probably taking a lot of information right now so alex we want to sit down to uh talk to you a little bit about some of the work that you've done in the uh in the past couple of years i think uh to Nivek and i we both found it to be not only entertaining but exciting work uh, particularly with a, uh, a, a film titled Fuck Buddies. Um, yeah. which that's uh, a classic film. That's right, <laughs> which we'll, uh, we'll jump into a little bit later. But um, let's start by just breaking down a little bit how you kind of found yourself working in film uh, from the jump. When was this like a, was this something that you've always wanted to do? Is it something like, oh, I was three years old and I had a, you know, camera and I was running around. Was it something like that? Or You know what? I think really my early interest in filmmaking probably came um, halfway through high school where I kind of realized that high school wasn't going to last forever and I was going to have to do something afterwards. Yep. And I was just kind of realizing that I didn't really like a lot of the more university classes at, yeah. uh, at Pine Ridge. Shut up, right. Pine Ridge Secondary <laughs> School in Pickering, Ontario. <laughs> and I found myself taking a lot more like drama and, and um, you know, performance arts classes like that because right. I just, I thought it was... You know, it was there was just something really electric and dynamic about him. Probably also because it was less like book academic. Yeah, 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 totally. I kind of liked um, gravitated towards that a little bit more. And I, I guess like the thing that kind of gave me the early uh, spark about whether or not I wanted to be a filmmaker was when I was in grade eleven. There was this like class in um, the, the called communications. I yep. think uh, you know most people maybe have the option to yeah, take yeah, that yeah. class. And for the final ISU independent study, oh, unit, that's right. <laughs> that's a throwback, uh, man. Yeah, make us feel real old. <laughs> also, teachers just teach the students. Damn, <laughs> don't make it independent. Yeah, do your job. <laughs> 
Yeah, for the, so for the last ISU, you had to make like a 10-minute uh, video. Right. And I decided to write a script for a film called Loop Show's Life. Okay. It's a mockumentary about the life of a first-generation Macedonian-Canadian right. in his final year of high school <laughs> and his perils of trying to get a girl to go to the prom with him. Okay. I mean, very topical yeah, at the totally. time. <laughs> uh, but it kind of, you know, in, in a loose way, sort of dealt with... Uh, this like kind of mixed identity that my family has is like being both Greek and Macedonian at the same time. Right. Um, it was like, you know, kind of a comedy that was like very much written and shot in the style of The Office, The okay. American Office, which right, right, right. in high school was like pretty influential. Yeah, man, me, totally. Um, and so basically from, from there, that film, um, it, you know, it, it kind of resonated in the community, in the Macedonian community specifically. Because wow. I don't think up to that point there had been you know somebody who was like a first or second generation uh, Macedonian Aegean Macedonian mm -hmm. who was kind of like making something that echoed a lot of the experiences of my parents and right. just funny stories that my grandparents have told us or that we've observed and uh, yeah so it was kind of excited it was like a film that you know while I made it for this ISU yeah um, it got invited to play at this little uh, festival in Toronto called the International Macedonian. No festival. way. Wow. Uh, so that was back in, I think, 2008, like a year after I made the film. Okay. And it was like crazy. Like there was like, you know, adults that I didn't know yeah. in a room <laughs> there to go and watch this movie. Yeah. And it was fun because I, I, I wrote the film. I, I was like the main actor in the film. Yeah. And... Uh, and like you know, I edited on a Hackintosh yeah. in my parents' oh, wow. basement. Like, <laughs> like, like you know, an early cut, uh, the copy of Final Cut Pro six or seven yeah. that I like downloaded over like torrents. Uh, yeah, that yeah, I yeah. set like you know to only download between midnight and seven a.m. So my dad wouldn't notice that like you know the internet speeds are really slow. <laughs> early days of the, the BitTorrent oh, client. Yeah, 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 <laughs> man, unbelievable. Um, so I, I think kind of like after high school wrapped up, I was you know um, I didn't get into any film schools that I applied to. And uh, I had done this film, but I was like, okay, well, like, what next? Mm. And kind of through trial and error, um, or just by happenstance, this one day, like, I wanted to go and make some copies of Lupcho's Life to, okay. uh, to sell at a Macedonian cultural <laughs> convention. <laughs> make that cash, man. You know? Uh, and I went to this company that did some DVD duplication, but they also, um, their main business function was doing weddings. Okay. And, you know, uh, the guy invited me to his office to talk about, you know, prices for the duplication or whatever. And I was looking around and I saw, like, he had a bunch of cameras. And I think he had, at that time, like, uh, the 5D Mark II had just come out. Okay. Like, I think that summer in 2009 or, or sometime around there. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Ooh. And, you know, at the end, I was just like, hey, like, if you ever need any help, like, hand, I'm yeah. available. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm very available. Yeah. I think at that point, I was just doing, like, manual labor with my dad. Yeah. <laughs> which, I, that's the common yeah, connection that's right. that I That's have. right. I also do manual labor for your father <laughs> on occasion. Uh, we very successfully created a... Uh, a water uh, water access pipeline in his uh, backyard. Wow. So yeah, I'm very proud of my uh, digging skills. You're yeah. a good digger. <laughs> I'm a great digger. Which, um, it, it, I mean, that's the best part. I guess like probably the, the only stuff that we, the only touch point between probably my <laughs> life and yours has been through my mom's Instagram yeah. account, which I think it's kind of amazing. Wait, yeah, uh, how does that happen? I don't know. My mom like just follows like the neighborhood kids on Instagram. Yeah. Like it's like kind of her neighborhood watch. You know, oh. it, yeah, it's because much. you know people post like their families and shit on Instagram. Yeah, so it's like her way of like checking in on people. Yeah, it's like it's the next wave of neighborhood watch. It's 
digital surveillance. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Do you remember when we were growing up how they probably sent out around Christmas time, like, like here's what happened in the last six months. Like, here's a family. Or maybe this is just like a silly like, white family. <laughs> I think so. I think like, so. Yeah, totally. yeah, I don't think we ever go. That's okay. Send a postcard, you know, like that you took six months ago. And it's it was like, here's what everybody's up to. <laughs> I think like, Instagram is kind of replaced. Yeah, 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 totally. Oh. Because you can see what they're up to, like, f- as of five minutes ago. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and totally. I so basically I got introduced to the world of uh, the wedding video business okay. in, in the um, around this time in 2009. So it's like eight years ago. Wow. And I think this like was really something that gave me a springboard to um, to do a lot of things to like move to Toronto to you know eventually uh, give it gave me my first job to move out of the house. Mm. And it was something where, like, in in its core function, like being a wedding videographer, it's like you have to learn how to use the camera, you have to learn how to edit the video, mm-hmm. you have to learn how to deal with the clients, you have to learn how to like drive your car on the GTA with like you know different construction and, and, and no different routing to, yep. to get places quickly. And the big thing, and probably my favorite thing, was that like you got thrown into the center of like families with very different cultures and yep. backgrounds yep. than you and that was probably like the thing that I, I that was the biggest takeaway from me like I spent like a lot of time extensive time with like the Punjabi community in the mm-hmm. GTA um, you know I'm like I'm a Greek Macedonian background but I shot a lot of like Italian weddings and Catholic churches right. and like and you know you, you as, especially too I shot a lot of Pakistani weddings so okay, like, no it was way. like the first time I had any like reason to go to like a mosque and you know to go to a nikah in a mosque so it was like the the world exposure that i got through yeah. weddings was pretty awesome and i think a lot of people thought i was like a fuck up at that time <laughs> because of like this guy like he did go to university mm. he you know shooting wedding videos like right. what's like what's he doing like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. um but it was great because you know i was making money i was learning how to do tangible totally. things with a camera and just you know Basically, because a lot of the time you're like a team of one, you and maybe one other person, you're learning to take care of audio and everything. And, and slowly your ability to create like, you know, a quality video that sounds and looks good mm-hmm. and can be presented in a nice way increases. Right. And I think during that time, like on, on weekends that I wasn't working, um, this is back in 2009, so don't judge me too hey, much. Listen. Uh, I got really into dubstep around that time. Sick. Which I'm sure like a lot of people did. Yeah, totally. For like six months. And then you're like, hey, what's going on? What am I doing? I probably went about 18 months. Okay, that's okay. That's fine. But, you know, and around that time, (laughs) you know, you you would go out like after work, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. I was living in Pickering at the time. So we would like load up in my Honda Civic. Right on. Drive downtown. Go to Wrong Bar. Right. Go to Wrong Bar the next night. (laughs) Go to the Mod Club. And there was always just like different DJs and stuff going on. And I think at a certain point I was like, well, look, we have this access to this equipment. Why don't we just like offer to shoot a video for free? Mm -hmm. We don't have any, um, you don't have, we don't have any cloud or real experience with this. So like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And it was kind of neat around that time because there was this group called Zed's Dead that was at that time, like more, like they were just filling rooms of like 150 people, like 75 people. And we would, uh, we shot like one or two videos for them. And we thought it was cool because in the dubstep world, they had yeah, all these man. videos on UKF or whatever that YouTube channel yeah, was. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that yeah. premiered a lot that of these one things. channel, yeah. And, you know, um, 
it was just like, this is awesome. We're getting like 2,000 views on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. <laughs> and um, it was kind of neat too, because around the, th- the time that like Skrillex came to Toronto for oh, yeah. the first time in like the in January of 2010 or something. Okay. We, uh, we went and shot a video of like his performance at Wrong Bar, which was right. just like kind of funny because we're like <laughs> on stage with this person that eventually a couple months later became like, you know, yeah, um, a little wow. bit bigger. Yeah, seriously. That's amazing. And and like kind of that was this, the balance for a while. It was like shooting weddings on the weekend, working, um, you know, for this studio I was working for at the time, editing them during the week and yeah. authoring DVDs and all that other <laughs> shit, you know, yeah. and um and then we were just trying to look for some, like me and my friends were just trying to look for something else to, yeah. to kind of get some sort of creative um, expression from. Of course. And, you know, that was the closest thing that we had at the time. Skrillex was the answer. At the t- like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, we got to just, I, we got to do a lot of things that maybe we like kind of like fucked up on or didn't really like follow no. through with the experiences. Like there's this group called Mount Kimby. Yeah. I don't know. So we, Mount amazing. we got to interview them in 2011 wow. and I had just bought the H4N, the Zoom H4N at the yeah. time. And then I didn't press record for the one hour. Oh, the oh, interview. And like two days later, the PR person's like, yeah, I heard the interview went really well. Like we're excited to hear it. And I'm like, yeah, we had like a card problem. Oh no. I got to tell you, like there was like a bunch of stuff that happened like that where I'm like, dude, I'm just going to shoot weddings forever. Yeah. Oh, mm, shit. It sucks. <laughs> Listen, you know what? Actually, uh, now you say that, you reminded me that I always uh, record this podcast on my iPhone as well, just in case my computer dies on me. Because as a uh, few people know, um, my laptop is uh, asking my laptop to, to do more than one thing at one time is like asking like a three-year-old to run a restaurant. It's just like, you know, after one task, it just becomes like a catastrophe. So. Like it's cute that they put the napkin on the yeah. table once. <laughs> exactly. They shouldn't be touching the deep fryer. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, or just be doing anything else besides okay. like pulling a plate back from the table. But um, so I, I guess seeing that you said that you started, um, it kind of all started with, you know, this like mockumentary and then there was this this period of time where it was more weddings. Um, where, at what point in time do you feel did you kind of find yourself back into going into like a more traditional like film style thing, where it's like you know creating a story and, and building it that way? Yeah. So uh, at a certain point, I kind of saw that financially it made more sense to start my own wedding studio, mm-hmm. and I had a little office in Kensington that I was sharing no with way. some friends. Where I think I was renting the desk there for like three hundred dollars a month, and uh, I started booking my own weddings, and it was kind of great because I had a lot more free time during the week. You know, yeah. I was collecting like down payments to shoot a wedding in nine months, so I was being able to pay my rent and whatever. For sure. But during the week, like I started being, um, I think this like one this one month, I sent out like eighty or ninety uh, of my very basic resume to yeah. like any commercial or film producer in town from any list I could find online. Right. And I'm just like, hey, I have a G-Class license. Pick rank. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I, I just want to be a coffee runner or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. just, you know, I just wanted, even if I was getting paid like for in the beginning, nothing or like $100 a day or something. You just something. want to be in the space, right? Yeah, I just wanted to be in the space. And slowly kind of, I was still shooting weddings on the weekend, but during the week I was like getting to know a little bit more about how commercial production worked and a lot of that was just exposure to systems and jobs i didn't know existed like Hmm. you know at the time i didn't know what a grip was or what like a gaffer was and these are things that you just learn by seeing and asking and talking to these people 
And I think at that time, because I knew a good chunk about cameras from weddings, I, I saw them using cameras in a more controlled, different environment. Mm. But it wasn't it wasn't super foreign, uh, so I was able to you know ask astute yeah, yeah, yeah. questions, I guess. <laughs> of course. And um, and then kind of a you know it's like that that comedic story of like you know one day somebody doesn't show up and they're like, well, you've seen him do that for right, a long right. time. <laughs> and there was like a couple years there where I was just like. I had a lot of free time, so I would just take like whatever gig came during the week, shot mm. the wedding on the weekend, which paid for my rent. And um, it kind of set the stage to to be able to take on creative projects that weren't really paying any money, but I thought it would be of long-term benefit. Right. And I think probably the biggest one that's happened so far was like in 2013, this uh, journalist who was living in Toronto who didn't really know too many people in film production was like, hey, I want to make a documentary about uh, this this guy who made a 10-hour movie about the Holocaust. That's right. Um, you know, do you want to help me put together this this movie? Mm. Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, well, great. We're going to shoot in Paris and with the red cameras in oh, like, in like three months. And I'm like, my mind, like, well, I've never really personally shot with the red, but like I've assisted on things with it. Yep. So I just... Uh, Kind of went with the parameters of what needed to be done, and right. then, you know. Um, sorry, I'm kind of losing my, my hey, train no of thought. No worries, here. no worries. Um, yeah, so it was, but that was like the whole sort of structure that you set up, especially as like a creative person starting off in in the film industry. It's like mm. imperative to have like big chunks of free time to allow yourself to be open to opportunities, right. and a lot of that's hard because I mean it's kind of tough to work in film and like work in a bar or, or do yeah. something where you have to go to like a place mm. and do it. So while like, I wasn't like in love with shooting weddings, like I didn't hate it, but like I wasn't like in love with it. Yeah. Um, it was just like on the weekends and it left me free during the week. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, so that particular project, like even though we shot it in 2013 and then shot a couple different interviews like a year later uh it was kind of like that investment that eventually like spawned a film that yeah. uh, premiered at hot docs in 2015 uh it was purchased by hbo shortly right. after that uh later on that year i got no uh, shortlisted for yeah. an oscar and then a Man. couple months later was was nominated yeah and i don't think that would have ever happened had i not just been in that place where i was just like available to say yes to things right 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 you know? yeah. Talk okay. about that. Oh, sorry. No. Yeah, talk about that feeling of going from weddings to the morning of Oscar nomination. <laughs> I mean, I I just said really, I'd probably have to just give credit to the the director for seeing the opportunity to make this film because right. like you know, <laughs> I think he joked about it when he when he asked me to join him on the project initially just as like the cinematographer, but then my roles kind of. Uh, grew on the film with helping a lot of post-production and different mm -hmm. things like that and and then eventually like I got the, uh, an additional credit of like an associate producer mm -hmm. um, like from day one he's like yeah this is gonna get nominated oh, wow. like, you know what I mean it's just like sometimes when people say stuff like that you're just like okay yeah like, you just cool. kind of want to gag a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah exactly but I mean like at this instance he was right and yeah I remember it was I don't know. It was just kind of like a mind fuck a little bit. Specifically, I know this this is no longer like a fun story because Louis C.K. Hey. is kind of like... Hey, that's from okay. Grace. That's okay. Oh, Louis yeah. C.K. was like the announcer for our category right. that mm. year. <laughs> and he said a funny joke. He goes like, whoever wins this year, it's really going to change their life because they're going to take it home and they're used Honda to their like apartment with roommates. Oh, shit. And then like, I got like 12 text messages and be like, dude, that's you, <laughs> man. <laughs> and, wow, that really was. You know, I still drive home. 
Listen, this podcast is sponsored by Honda Civic. You know, shout out to our sponsor, Reliable Car. Reliable Car, car. great <laughs> mileage. Come on down to Pickering Honda. <laughs> Pickering Honda, uh, Scarborough Honda, uh, Ajax Honda, Whippy Honda, Osho Honda. Also, United GTA <laughs> Honda Dealers Association. <laughs> also, real quick, thank you to our sponsor, Canadian Tire. Please be sure to get your winter tires, or what else are you going to do? You're going to drive around the snow with nothing on, with your summer tires on, you're going to crash, then you're going to blame who? You're going to blame the ice? No, blame yourself. Blame yourself. Go to Canadian Tire. Pick up four of them. Tires. <laughs> On sale right now, you get you buy four, you get $10 off. It's only $800, though. Please thanks, go. Thanks, Canadian Tire. <laughs> thanks again. Um, um, yeah, I can only imagine how kind of crazy that is to be in that space. You know, something I was really thinking about was like... Uh, uh, you know, to kind of remove all the romanticism of like, you know, the ideas of, of finding yourself at like an Oscar night. Um, something I was curious to know was like, what was something once you got there that you in the back of your head, like, was there a point in time where you were like, OK, I'm just like, I'm not going to expect anything. I'm just going to go and kind of experience this. Or were there some things that you had expected to see or experience while you're there that either didn't happen or exceeded your expectations? Because I realize it's probably it's, you're probably only there for the Oscars what, for like two or three days. Is that how it works? Like, I'm very curious about how yeah, this kind of so process is. It's kind of interesting. So for, the director was a person who was actually on the nomination, but right. like it was a small team of like three or four yeah. people, maybe, maybe five, I yeah. guess, if you include some people who came on later. Um, so he, when he got his allotment of tickets, he's yeah. like, okay, we're all gonna, we're all gonna go mm-hmm. to this. Um, I mean, it, it just, it just didn't feel real. I think like it finally clicked in like a couple months later, like what actually had happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because at the time, like it just, I don't know, it just wasn't registering. It right. was, it, it's almost like it was just so outside of the the, the realm of what I thought was going to happen for the project yeah. that it took a while for the the, the acceptance of it. Of to, course, to come up. And I don't really know what I was expecting going into it. Right. I, I just thought it was just, I was like riding a wave. It was almost just like, I don't know this. I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about on this podcast. Please. It's just like the whole experience was like taking really good MDMA. And it was just like <laughs> going for a long time. Yeah. And, and, then like, like, hey. and then like the day after, you're just like, oh, here I am in this Airbnb in <laughs> Studio City. And I'm just like. <laughs> I don't know what to What, what to just happened? Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. I think that I would, I hope, you know. Anybody who um, is a filmmaker, it would be awesome if everybody had an opportunity to go through it. Mm-hmm. I uh, I think that like probably after going through it, I just kind of realized that like, okay, well, it happened. Maybe it's not really what I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it didn't all of a sudden unlock some like level of satisfaction yeah. or um, of joy. I, I guess really... All of a sudden, people probably started thinking that I was like more capable or experienced than right. I was, which was really kind of frustrating because I'm just, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm like 27 now. Mm-hmm. I shot the film when I was 23. Right. Um, the film came out when I was 25. Like, there's still so much that I want to learn and explore and like suck at, get better at, of and course. be good at. And, um, so I, I think probably around that time I kind of retreated from social media a little bit because yeah. I didn't want. I'm like I have nothing more impressive yeah. to show you. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I had some family members. Honestly, like I think they're you know older, like you know, uh, immigrant yeah, yeah, family yeah. members who are like, so you're gonna go next year? I'm yeah. like, that's not <laughs> how it works. <laughs> that's not <laughs> how it works. That is so funny. Oh, yes. You know, like, I was 
I mean, something that Navek and I talk about, or you know, I think is is very common amongst uh, immigrant households, particularly when it when it comes to arts, is really only getting, or you know, artists really only getting the the validation from their family members when there's an attachment to something that is like a household name. Um, so, like for example, um, our last guest, he kind of talked about his parents. Um, he did a, a lot of photography for for artists in Toronto and. Um, you know, it was only until like he had taken a few photos of the weekend, um, which he could then say to his parents as like affiliated with Drake. And then like a light bulb goes off and his parents as being like, Drake, oh, amazing photography. You're amazing. Um, you know, was it the kind of, did you feel it was a the similar, yeah, similar experience? Yeah, it, it kind of, it validated that I didn't go through the traditional like career path. Like I thought for a while, like my grand, my grandmother would take my mom aside being like, is Alex selling drugs? Like, yeah. Why is he in Toronto? <laughs> Why isn't he still living with you? What is he doing? And then when that happened, they're like, oh, okay, well, I, I guess it's real. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 of course. Uh, and then I think, like, my grandfather, like, took a photo of something I posted, like, a photo there, uh, like, a photo with his phone of his screen on on Facebook and then printed out that photo, like, a photo of his... Some real grandpa he, shit. Yeah, real he grandpa totally, hours. and it's, like, hanging up at his house. So I'm just like, <laughs> all right. Well, that was pretty great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lasting memory for him and for you, I suppose. Totally. <laughs> um, something you very briefly mentioned was... Uh, you know, understanding different roles uh, or different kind of responsibilities that take place uh, when it comes to filmmaking. Something I was curious to ask you or to at least help Nivek and I out with a little bit is is giving the kind of like idiot's breakdown of what a director, what a producer, what like a, what all the kind of like main ones are. Because truthfully, even to this day, if, if someone were to say that, you know, uh, I helped in the production or, or have like a, a producer role, um, yeah, I'm still kind of unclear as to as to what each of those responsibilities or rules roles are. You know, sure. Um, um, yeah, so I'm curious to know. Well, let's talk in the ecosystem of feature filmmaking because sure. they, they vary a little bit from commercial filmmaking okay. to feature filmmaking to television. Right. Well, I don't really have a lot of experience in the television world. More so now in the um, the commercial and 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 the uh, the feature space. Right. Um, just, I guess, briefly, you know, kind of going from top down, you have this title that gets thrown around sometimes called executive producer, right. who's normally somebody who either brings financing to the project or they uh, help connect some, um, some access to the rights. So, for instance, like... Uh, this is just an example. I don't know if it's actually like this. Like, uh, who who wrote Harry Potter? J.K. Rowling. Yeah. yeah. So she might get an executive producer credit on all the movies because she like you know and originally wrote uh, right. wrote the books. Uh, executive producer credits are given out for a variety of different reasons, but that's generally speaking um, why they get given out. Then you have like what I we sometimes consider the capital P producer or just a producer by itself. Yeah. And that, you know, generally speaking, you can kind of think of it as like the project manager. Okay. That's somebody who normally can, you know, find or identify an idea. They'll find an executive producer to bring on who cool. is financing. They'll maybe sometimes um, be the person to find a director who's a good match uh, to shoot, uh, to direct the script. Gotcha. You know, they're... They're involved in everything from hiring to different allotments of like how they're going to spend the budget gotcha. and, you know, figuring out how they're going to get the film made. Um, currently, that's kind of like the position in my life that I right. think I'm, I'm, I'm heading towards. Okay. Um, then from there, you have like many different flavors of producers. Yeah. So you'll have like associate producer, supervising producer, which are all just like 
they have different political names and reasons. Um, you know, situationally speaking, why why they're doled out. Um, you know, writers obviously. I think that's kind of self-explanatory. Right. Uh, the people who are <laughs> yeah writing scripts. <laughs> writing scripts yeah. And and then you have like you know the, the cast and and uh, the stars. Uh, so sure. this group that I'm describing right now is called the above the line. So this is like yeah. something where the the prices for or, or the fees that these people get is uh, is widely varies depending on uh, whether it's an independent film or, or like a studio movie. Gotcha. You know, like M. Night Shyamalan might make like $3 million just yeah. to, uh, not even for his director fees, just to give the studio access to like the concept that he came up with. Oh, wow. And then wow. they'll hire a writer on top of that. Oh, to, my like, gosh. Yeah. So that's typically called above the line. Then below the line, you kind of have the the, the, the head of the below the line is something called a, uh, a production manager. Okay. Or, in, or in the States, it's called a unit production manager. Right. And they're basically somebody who's in charge of all the minor day-to-day hirings or making deals with vendors. Um, so underneath that person, you're going to have a production designer who's yep. somebody who works with the director and the cinematographer to kind of establish the look of a film. Sorry, is this like really boring? No, man, no, this is good. This no, is good? this is good, okay. 100%. Uh, so the production designer is somebody who helps to define the look of the film with the uh, director or the cinematographer. And, you know, like if it's a period piece, for instance, they'd be somebody who would research different like... Uh, illustrations or um you know photos gotcha, or, gotcha, or, gotcha. or whatever or color palettes that are going to be consistent okay. throughout the movie wow. and you know they'll work with uh, the cinematographer and the director to maybe choose lenses that kind of make sense for yeah. that time period um then also you know you have a costume designer who's a person who's going right, to decide right, right. um the look of, of what all the characters are going to be wearing which like sometimes is, is pretty important if it's a period piece because you want something yeah. that's going to be like historically this accurate. is 1759 yeah. and not 1756 which sometimes matters yeah that's right i mean that's not my skill set yeah. but you know <laughs> i mean think about it right the the fashion difference between like 2010 and 2017 it's still it's, right yeah it, it no, exists for sure right so um also, also kind of in that category um uh, you'd have uh, the editor and composer. The editor is, you know, the yep. person who ultimately puts the film together, and the composer is the person who comes up with the music. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I don't think I'm forget. Those are kind of like the big major yeah, yeah, roles, yeah, yeah, and everything sure, else sure. kind of stems from one That's of those. Right. And, a, and a lot of the time, I think, <clears throat> as you were kind of saying, like being above the line, a lot of a lot of times those are kind of roles that um, end up being ambiguous. Or a lot of time with like these major motion pictures, it's like you see like a name that you've seen before and you're like, how, or yeah, how did they kind of end up in this role? Like they're, you know, movies, uh, wasn't Brad Pitt an executive producer of Moonlight? Tons of things. Yeah. Tons of things. Yeah. I mean, it's just like something that's just like, oh, how did Brad Pitt get into this? Or like, what is his role in the making of this <laughs> yeah, movie kind yeah. of deal? Um, so. No, it could have been something like, uh, you know, he's probably pumped a lot of his money into having his own production company where right. people submit scripts or ideas and he decides whether or not to invest money in something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as a result, probably when Moonlight came across, like somebody who works for him was like, yo, like this is probably going to be yeah, a good probably movie. Gonna be <laughs> they need like $100,000 to pay for another draft of the script or casting or something. Mm-hmm. And he'll probably look at it and, you know, he'd be like, okay, I want an executive producer credit. If right. this film makes money, I want to get like 30% <laughs> premium back on what it is. I mean, it, it's kind of amazing because like, I'm starting to learn about how future films are put together. Yeah. Um, just how many different ways there yeah, is yeah, to yeah, do yeah, it. To get it. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, oh, and uh, 
with fuck buddies i was just oh, wondering, yeah. was that related to did someone see your work on the dock and then reach out to you with yeah yeah they're project? like you know uh, they saw the serious holocaust film and they're <laughs> like we want to make a film about two roommates who become friends with benefits they yeah. decide to stop having sex because they're getting too emotionally attached then the ghost of their unborn child comes and possesses them forcing them to have sex so that he can be conceived i mean you know the thematic <laughs> parallels are pretty yeah it's almost pronounced. the same film right, <laughs> That's right. yeah it's like it's hard to tell sometimes you know they they, they screen together yeah. <laughs> double, double features you know that was yeah that was a, a really uh fun pro it, let's talk about fun yeah let's let's yeah. let's take it from the top here. A, so go I ahead i have two big questions sure. to start off uh did you see the people fucking did you fuck anyone <laughs> Uh, uh, technically, there is no um, you know explicit uh, fucking that occurs in the film. It's uh, it's all implied, right? Uh, if you know if this is like one of those like PG thirteen implied. Yeah, sexual yeah, yeah, gotcha, thing. gotcha. Um, yeah, it's yeah. like the pan the pan down scene as they start you know as you see just like clothes like drape off the bed or something. You just hear like yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's all, it's all implied. It's yeah, all yeah, implied. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what's it going? Well, I mean, uh, I think we've answered it for the most part. But either, uh, either way, yeah, we kind of want to know how it came into existence, and uh, you know, just just walk us through, you know, what totally. the, what it was like for you. I don't know normally if you include links to yeah, to yeah the, definitely. This, this would definitely be a fun thing to hundred percent share a link to. So basically, this film came about where like uh, my producing partner Chris Yurkovich and I were trying to like just meet more writers and directors in Toronto and help them produce their movies because, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately we, we want to be, you know, that what I defined as that capital P producer right. or, or whatever. So uh, I had a friend of mine, one of my close friends, Jesse Futterman, um, who's actually like one day a guy that maybe you guys would want to have yeah, on the show. Yeah, totally. He's, he's really interesting. Uh, he just wouldn't shut up about this guy from Toronto named Nate Wilson who had a bunch of short films up on Vimeo that he had like done himself Yeah, that were... Um, pretty amazing but i hadn't watched them because my i just i was like i don't want to watch these short films like whatever and like yeah. one day i watched them and i was just like well these are actually like really good mm. so we like i sent him a message on facebook and i was like hey man do you want to like get together have a coffee you know we'd like to talk about what you have it's going on sober kind of deal. Yeah. and so we go and meet with this kid and he's like 17 years old oh man <laughs> and i was like he's like just graduated high school. <laughs> Shit. And i was like oh man i'm like well do you have anything in mind that you want to pitch us he's like yeah fuck buddies <laughs> i thought we were getting trolled you know i was just like <laughs> you know there's a camera at the back yeah of i'm like okay show. guys i'm yeah. on canon camera here um and then we read the script and it kind of made you know it's very much like a genre film, but right. kind of like a body horror genre yeah, film, yeah, yeah. Um, which is not really my thing, but we read it, and my producing partner, I was like, Chris, is this a good script? He's like, yeah, it's actually not bad. <laughs> and then we went at, you know, we, I think we made that film for like five or six thousand. Yeah, <laughs> wow. Like something like really crazy like that. Man. Um, yeah, and that was kind of like our one of our first times like going out and just you know, finding somebody to develop a, a short film with. Yeah, for sure. And, and doing that. That's madness. So he was 17 years old when he... He was 17. I wild. think he was like, uh, by the time we, we we went to camera, he was 18. Okay. And uh, by the time the film got released, he was 19. <laughs> so like... <laughs> that is still a land. <laughs> yeah. That's still, yeah, quite ridiculous. I mean, uh, I would not have expected that to be, <laughs> to be fair with you. Yeah. But uh, man, fuck buddies. What a... 
What yeah, a, what a it, great piece of I'm, art for like a, a, such like a you know a very strange sounding name that like often often when we start Q and A's we're like yeah we're glad you understand it's not a porno film yeah <laughs> um, you know the film played at Fantastic Fest in Austin Texas which was like the first time that I had ever got to go to like somewhere that wasn't Toronto right. to see like a film that I had worked on. Mm-hmm. Also played Fantasia which were like those are like the two big genre festivals I think in North America okay. at least. And I played some other festivals like Kukaloras and. North Carolina. It was just kind of neat to yeah. To it's really there. exciting. I think as a filmmaker, when you when you you have a project that's just out there and it's like it it like exists outside of you. It's being consumed at like yeah. you know people are responding to it and act it and like having feelings towards it, not because they worked on it, because it's like it's something that's out. There. It's yeah. just like it's really crazy. It's yeah, just, yeah. What a strange yeah. thing. Seriously. So you said you, you got to do a little bit of traveling down in the states just to kind of see these these films be premiered or be shared where else have you been able to to kind of travel just through your your line of work um or some some memorable places we'll say for good or bad reasons. yeah for for different reasons like um recently i think like in the last year and a half this there's a documentary i'm producing about um how like social media instagram specifically and different uh, web platforms are changing the way that the economy of fine art works wow where like historically it was all just you know you go to a gallery and that's white walls exactly yeah. now you have like places like Saatchi Art Online where you can be like I have between five hundred to a thousand dollars and I want something that looks like this and yeah. like choose some images and it shows you a bunch of stuff yeah like I, we just find that really interesting and there's a director um, from Toronto John Cullen that him and I are are making this movie um, we we went down to Colombia wow. uh, about a, a year and a half ago to shoot some of this. Uh, I like going to LA just to visit, yeah. uh, not really to live there because I mean everybody kind of says that the traffic's really. Right. Yo, yeah, why do people hate LA so much though? Just c- probably because of the traffic. Just the traffic. Just the traffic. Yeah, it's like getting across town is. Uh, there's no metro system that's really viable. There's like no go train. Oh, really? or Okay. There's no real option other than driving. Okay. Wow. Because that's like the only thing that people have to choose. It's it's kind of like soul sucking. Wow. <laughs> in wow. that regard. But I love going for like a week or something to work right. on something and then come home. Yeah, you know. madness. Um, I got to. Where else have I gotten to go? Like you know, to France, Turkey, you know, random places in Canada. Probably uh, the the most beautiful place that I've been. And I guess as I'm like approaching thirty now, I'm starting to really fall over <laughs> Canada. For sure. Uh, I got to go uh, and be part of um, this film called Kayak to Clem Two, which I'm okay. One of the uh, one of the on the producing team in this specific film in the role of an executive producer. Cool. Uh, but I went out to um, to sort of line produce the, um, uh, or UPM as the production manager, right. the, the reshoots that we did in Northern BC. And there's just something about like, no way you, you know, in Northern BC, like four or five hours North of uh, Vancouver, where you can see like seals and eagles. Yeah. And Whereabouts and in where, where exactly was it? In, it's in like, it, well, specifically if you know Powell river, I do. Yeah. A little bit. I, the only reason why I know is because I went tree planting up there. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Dude, okay, yeah. Uh, so, also, like, half the film was shot in, in uh, Powell River, the Lund area, okay. like, uh, Desolation Sound. Uh, right. But then um, a big chunk of the film was shot in Bella Bella, which okay. is 500 kilometers up the coast of... Uh, yeah. Basically, where that big oil spill happened last That's right, yeah. yeah. Which, uh, there was almost, like, a couple days ago, another... I just posted on Facebook uh, another oil spill that almost happened there. Madness, um, yeah. 
And but what uh, is it that the uh, that the film is about? Sorry, just to, oh uh, yeah, sorry. Kaiyakutan Two is is a film that uh, was produced um, by uh, an, like a newer producing partner of me and Chris's, okay. uh, named Dan Beckerman, who um, most notably is famous for producing this movie called The Witch. Okay, uh, it was like a big horror film that came out a couple years ago. Yeah, I do like, remember that. Yeah, shot in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, or I didn't realize it was oh, shot in Canada. Yeah, wow. shot in okay. Canada. Um, so this is a film called Kayak the Klemtu about this young indigenous woman who um, is kayaking from Vancouver up to her, her like native nations territory mm-hmm. to get like just more understanding of like where her background is or like where her history lies. Yeah. Uh, and she's doing that to um, basically take over the role from her um, from her uncle who was a big activist and trying to educate people that you know, tankers shouldn't be coming through the little islands yeah. along the coast. Because, you know, it's just going to destroy them. Uh, the, the possibility for oil spills is, uh, is a lot more common. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like, uh, I consider it like more like a young adult, like like parents can watch it totally. with their kids. Kind of deals with some adult themes of like, um, um, no, okay, that sounded weird, like adult. <laughs> <laughs> You know, as you can tell, like I'm a, like not the PR phrases, person. Yeah. Like I like I'm typically not that, uh, not the. No, 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 no worries. Pitching these things, but you know, it just um, how like uh, families deal with loss and mm-hmm. uh, totally different, more like ob- objective. Things. Of course, so, and it's pretty great too because it's like a film that shows like a young indigenous woman, like you know, in, in a positive constructive That's right, light. Yeah. So it was a film that I was really excited to be a part of, and the director Zoe Hopkins is just really awesome. Um, Mohawk woman from uh, obviously Canada. Yeah, right, right. Uh, she's from one other nation that I always mispronounce the name of, so I don't, I don't say it. I'm sorry, Zoe, if you ever hear Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, just being part about that project was like kind of the first touch point that I had with, you know, more seriously considering and being aware of the, the status of Indigenous people mm-hmm. in Canada. Um, which I think before that, I, you know, I just, I didn't know how much I didn't know. That's right. And yeah, I'm starting to learn a little bit more about yeah, how much totally. I don't know. I feel like the the past couple of years for so many of us, myself included, you know, has been a, a very good learning learning experience. I mean, I was lucky enough to go to Trent University, where there's like a, a very large Indigenous community or Indigenous presence, um, and the university itself kind of made a small effort. I'll say that it's not a very good effort, but a small effort to to make it. Uh, or at least educate those who, who came to the school. I think um, as of either now or next year, I think in, in first year, it's like mandatory for a student to take an Indigenous Studies course, at least one. Oh, right on. Uh, which I think is, is pretty dope as well. Um, but that sounds like a, a really exciting project, quite fulfilling project, I think, um, you know, amongst a lot of the other work you've done as well. Yeah, um, I guess like that's kind of what I'm looking for out of my career is just to... To hopefully make stories that not only will hopefully challenge an audience one day, but right. in the making of the films also like will challenge myself. For sure, for sure. Um, I mean, that's 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 the plan. Or you know, I can just make a bunch of Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> Whoa, is that a shot, Adam Sandler? <laughs> I just, Talk to know. him right now. <laughs> listen, listen. listen. I, no. I mean, I heard that he has a new one that's actually pretty good. I don't really? know why I singled him out at the Horowitz trial. Oh yeah, yeah. I heard it was good. It's yeah. on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't for seen real. it yet, but like I heard it's actually like maybe. 
veering back towards the punch struck love era. <laughs> yeah. Even though he was just an actor, like he had no yeah, part yeah. in the writing or direction <laughs> of that, I don't think. I don't mean to take a little bit, but I mean like films that just seem to be like pretty like low hanging fruit. For sure, for sure. Listen, we've uh, uh, on an episode. Don't did, don't be mad anybody out no, there. No, not at all. <laughs> we've we've Everybody we've talked slandered at Adam no. Sandler, uh, Kevin James. That kind of just like Paul Blart was a masterpiece <laughs> though. <laughs> Kevin James was in Hitch. So let's. Oh, yeah. Him. You know what? Navig really wanted to talk about Hitch. Go ahead, man. Please. I actually haven't seen Hitch. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're involved in filming. You know Why are you guys leaving? No. Come back. <laughs> okay. First of all, Hitch is one of the great glories of film. <laughs> when it was created. Who's star? Help, help me like paint this in my head. Will Smith. Uh, I think it was, it was Kevin James, Kevin James, a love-struck romantic hopeless, exactly. is <laughs> looking for love in New York City. Did Will Smith help Kevin James or the other way around? Will, Will Smith is like a is pretty much like a, a paid. He's paid to help dudes hook up with women. That's just like his job. He, he's not like a pickup artist. He's not. Right? A, he's, he very well maybe though. Um, he's just like a really wealthy pickup artist, which is hilarious because my association with pickup artists is just like kids mm. outside of Eaton Center being like, watch this, I'm about to get this yeah, girl's yeah. number. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, that's so what the crazy. premise of the movie is about. Is like Will Smith helping Kevin James, but at the same time, Will, Will Smith has a love interest and then he realizes that his love life is just as messed up. And then it's just like the, the parallels of Kevin James trying to sort out his relationship, Will Smith trying to sort out his relationship. Does Kevin James end up helping him sort out his problems? Probably. I can't remember. <laughs> we need uh, a resident hitch yeah, expert yeah, let's, here. Let's too. Talk to so he does not. Oh. Uh, Will Smith figures out his own issues because he helps Kevin James get back with the girl that he's supposed to be with in the, in the starting right, position. Right, right, right. So they broke up because the news leaked that Will Smith was... <laughs> Why are we his talking professional consultant. Yo, yo, chill. <laughs> All right. Will Smith was his professional consultant and the information leaked. Right. People found out that, like, he wasn't helping dudes hook up with girls. He's helping them try to marry them. Oh, right. right. That was the difference. Endgame. Yeah. He's all about endgame, not about <laughs> short game. <laughs> right? right. And so after he hooked up, he helped Kevin James get back with his girl. He realized his own issues. And he had to get back with his original girl. Played by a woman I don't remember her name, but she just has a lot of similarity to that movie with um, Steve Carell and the guy from Blade Runner. Yeah, 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 Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Uh, I don't know. What's the name of that movie? Uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Is that what it's called? Yeah, because isn't it a similar thing where Steve Carell is kind of like you know middle-aged single guy. His wife wants to divorce him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that. And then Ryan Gosling comes in and helps. Yeah, that's right. What What was his role in that movie though? Is he like? Is that like his? Is he in a similar thing where like that's his actual profession, or is he just? No, I think he's actually you're it, that's the difference probably okay. it's not his profession he's just doing it he's just like a, he's taking an interest in helping gotcha. like another bro yeah, yeah. Don't worry bro yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah bros helping bros man that's yeah, what we're all about bro time <laughs> shout out shout all the bros right now um but let's uh now that we're on the topic of uh really good movies or really bad movies in, in truth um uh, what are some of your your favorites from the year let's talk about 2017 in in either like major films or feature films sure. that maybe people haven't heard about you know it's weird i think up until probably about a couple months ago like i just got so burnt out from enjoying films in a non-work environment mm. that like <laughs> i like i stopped watching as many films as right. i had 
And I think probably in the last six months, um, after like kind of a long sabbatical, I suppose, I've like fallen in love with just like going and watching movies. Right. Like I think probably this month alone, I've seen like 10 or 12 movies. No way. Wow, wow, wow. And like this week, I have two double features planned where um, Amazing. I think I'm going to go see uh, The Disaster Artist Uh, on Friday. We we want to see that too. There's this other film that I forget the title of that's playing at the AGO that somebody I work with. like a, like a movie watching buddy like that we're gonna go see that together right. then also I'm gonna see Loving Vincent this week because I just haven't seen that nice. yet and it looks pretty interesting yeah 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 and uh, there's one like I'm starting to get to like the more niche limited viewing stuff nice but like honestly in the last little bit I, I've really enjoyed uh, The Square which I thought was like The uh, Square what's that about The Square is basically about this um, this really sort of like affluent head of a Swedish art, modern art institute, um, who, uh, it's basically a film about how like ridiculous and silly the art world. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. Going too much into the plot. Yeah. Um, Recently, also, uh, I saw the (laughs) killing of a sacred deer where Oh, nice. Um, It's the same guy who did like the lobster yep, and that's uh, right. dog tooth. That's right. Which, if you have like a demented sense of humor, this will be like one of the most funny films. Really? Because I watched the lobster and I quite enjoyed it. Like it, the like the first thirty. Did minutes, you find you found it funny, right? Yeah, I yeah. found it funny, but I also watched it by myself and made sure that like I I don't share with too many people that I'm like, oh, this is a hilarious film because on face level it's not that funny. <laughs> um, it's like because you're a psychopath. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's not. Um, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they, no, it is funny. It <laughs> See, is funny. I thought it was a comedy, and Vic thought it was a uh, psychological thriller. So yeah. there you go. I got, <laughs> that's the thing. The films are so polarizing. Like going to a like a live theater, right? In in especially with the, what's the director's name? It's like oh, it's either the Y. It's a Greek name that I just can't. Okay, remember. I just know them because I'm good with faces. By the way, yeah. like you okay. know, if I see you, like I will remember where I met you and and like what our relationship to each other yeah. is. But names are something that kind of drop off. Hey man, no and the worries. way that I defend that is that like look. You're, you know, you're, I'm not the only Alex in the world, That's right. but I have, I'm the only one who has this face. That's right. So I'm going to remember the most unique part of you Ooh, and man. forget the most non-unique part. What a great save. And it's worked once or twice. Okay. Once so, or twice. I mean, you, for all the viewers out there, that's a little, you know, you can take that and run with that. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess, I don't know, like Killing of a Sacred Deer was definitely probably, uh, that, that really super polarizing film where yeah. there's like people in the theater screaming like no no <laughs> fuck no that's so I funny man. I just love when people feel uncomfortable yeah does that do you uh, get secondhand embarrassment from that or does that make you laugh no I just I'm like yeah like really, that eh? big smile comes on my face <laughs> I know that kind of maybe is contrasting to the kind of films that I want to make like yeah. like this is why I don't even view them as like films I want to you know necessarily make or whatever I'm just right. like I just like going to the movies cause it's of course because you can just watch them yeah, yeah. no so important um I one of my fondest memories of like seeing other people react in a movie theater was uh, in I think my final year of high school or maybe grade eleven. I went to go see I, I pretty much every time uh, by one friend in particular named Karim. He would bully me into watch going to theaters to watch these paranormal activity movies with him. I'm like, look, I watched the first one with you. It spooked me a little bit, you know. I I thought about it a little bit afterwards, but I'm like, okay, I'm done with them. I don't need to watch anymore. Um, four movies later, we're in the theaters to watch this. And uh, there's a scene, just like every other movie, where, um, so this is like the fourth one where they're now using like laptop cameras and they're using like house cameras rather than just like this camcorder. 
and this girl's opened up her laptop and behind her she like her door just like slightly closes shut so then she gets up and like walks to the door and like swings the door open and when she does this uh, there's nothing there's nothing in her closet but there's one dude in the theater like there's a difference between a gasp there's a difference between like a woo and like you know being like an excited shout and then there's like a full-on like man scream you know what I mean when you're like <laughs> yeah. you're just about to shit yourself and that's what we heard it was just like the loudest like oh we had ever heard uh and the whole theater was just howling like we couldn't take the rest of the film seriously because of that so um did, yeah. Did you just recently get into horror films? No, honestly, or you're not into I've, I'm. I have not been into them. Um, however, like I, I really enjoy thrillers. Um, so long as like the jumpy shit, just get, get rid of the jumpy stuff, and I'll watch it. Because I find like these like spooky stories, I find them really fun. Um, but the jumps, man, like, dude, I love the jumps. Yeah. So this is the year where, after like years of just being totally closed off to horror films, I finally like got really? into them and just started watching any any horror film I could get my hands on. Hmm. And you know, I have a couple things that like that I cross <laughs> off my list as I'm watching it. Okay. And I'm just like, okay, is there an old person who's being weird? Yep. Is there like a spooky basement that's established and then they go down to at a very yeah. inconvenient or bad time? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of Blumhouse movies. Okay. You know, that, that's a pro- production company with this producer named Jason Blum. Who, okay. He's behind, I think, some of these paranormal activity sure. movies. Um, it's kind of funny, too. I think they use, like, the same fucking house. Oh, like, a closet. house that, like, the production bought, like, on a farm somewhere. Yeah. That I'm like, this house looks familiar <laughs> from another movie. Um, a completely different, like, you see it in Insidious, and then you also see it in, like, the Conjuring series. And you're like, hey, yeah, like, hold on a second. Like, I saw one recently, this Annabelle creation, which yep. I think is, like, it's like a follow-up. I, I think it was written, not directed, by the guy who made Saw. Okay. I think. He really likes puppets. Yeah, right? yeah, clearly. Yeah. Like that movie was like I was like scared, but like happy about it. <laughs> and I, I have like one friend um, that I always watch horror films with. Right. And we just call it. We like text each other. We like, are you ready for a spook? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we come and watch them here. Actually. Oh no way. Um, that's actually what why we have to end at nine today because. Oh yeah. Okay. Hey, no worries. No worries. But it's it's kind of amazing just how like that visceral excitement. Yeah. Um, and then now we're starting to go back and watch older ones. Because um, mm. I feel like this is probably one thing I should mention. My intro to filmmaking was very much um, from the practical learning a job entry point into it versus somebody who maybe went to film school, watched like every Francis Ford Coppola film mm. uh, or, or whatever and had that more of a repertoire of knowledge to build off of. Like, gotcha. I'm just now starting to add that into my right. you know, library. Right, so right, right. Which is um, kind of exciting. Cause yeah, like, totally. Like I, I just watched um, The Exorcist, the original one from okay. nineteen. From the oh yeah, seen that. Yeah. And I was just like, this is like not this. I, I almost feel like it's unfair to call this a horror film because it's so well done. Mm. It is. It really depends on where you're watching. I watched it when I was eight at midnight at somebody else's house. So I had to go oh. home after that. <laughs> so it, it scared me. Like I was, it was basically dead after that. <laughs> but I mean, did you watch it? You said you watched it recently? Yeah, I watched it oh, on okay. Halloween night actually. Okay. Oh, okay. That's dope. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of a different perspective, I suppose. <laughs> but what, what was like the first horror film uh, horror film that you ever saw? And I'll, I'll just tell you quickly. Sure. I t- um, Scream was the first one where wow. uh, when, I, when I grew up, I was born in Ajax, I was living in Ajax, and my neighbor across the street, Andre Whitaker, shout out Andre Whitaker if you if you're hearing this he had a sister who was like maybe six years older than us so we're like you know six 
Yeah. And his sister's like 12. And we go over to Andre's house to watch a movie. And, you know, this girl's like getting ready to watch a movie. She's making popcorn. And then five minutes later, she's hanging from a tree with her guts turning inside out. <laughs> and I'm like, just was like fucking like. What the hell? Myself. Have you ever seen Scream? No, I, I still haven't seen, haven't seen it. I still haven't seen it. I don't know how good they are now. Like, yeah. I, I don't think they're like regarded as like really good horror yeah. films. But at the time, like, <laughs> it, that's what started it. Between six and twenty six, yeah, yeah, yeah. for twenty years, two decades, I was just done, closed off. Like a whole genre, I just closed my mind to. Um, that's fair because it's the same thing for me. But I'll let you share. What was, yeah. this, was The Exorcist the first scary movie you ever saw? It probably was. Yeah, that's eight, one eight years old. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I remember my brother's friend. But the time was probably like six to eight years older than me, and then he had the film, and we just I just followed my brother to to watch it. Yeah. And I didn't think much of it. I was like, "Oh, dope! It's just a, a scary movie." Whatever. Yeah. Because up until that, I think I just watched Goosebumps, and there was another show on YTV that was like kind of scary for kids. Was Tales it the from one? the Crypt Keeper? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that. With yeah. like the, the, the puppet. Yeah, yeah, the go. super slimy one. This it was animated too. There was two versions. Yeah. yeah, the animated one, the scariest one was there was this guy living underneath this girl's bed, and then she she like was constantly scared of people being in the house. But there was someone living under a bed. At the end of the thing, she he grabbed her like ankle, and I was uh, like, Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, you never nah, swung nah, your feet nah, over nah, your bed nah, nah, <laughs> ever again. And then from that point on, I was like, I never saw a scary movie in theaters because I was like, Why pay for? Yeah, why pay for? Why this? pay to be scared? When I can just go into a Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Why Why pay to get your, you know, I think particularly as i I'm not going to lie, that joke was totally lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, I'm not really quick on the uptake. Oh, no, no. So Home Depot is the worst place to me. That's I just right. think... Uh, <laughs> okay, so like this is... <laughs> this is a very personal Yeah, joke. this is actually... Yeah, I don't We're pulling up some personal this. trauma from, a, from an <laughs> earlier episode. Yeah, because it's like... I feel like it's the worst place. Like, Home you're just, yeah. It's just a bunch of adults trying to make their house a mansion when they can't do that. Look, our, uh, we're laborers over yeah. here on this side of the table. So <laughs> Home is, Depot is a very exciting place, place for, of the, solitude, okay. for the working oh, man. Yeah, that is, that it's is very true. meditative. <laughs> wow, that's a very... Uh, that's a millennial perspective on that. Wow. <laughs> that's so millennial, damn. I'm sorry to everybody working out there. Hey, no worries, man. What I was going to say was, uh, you know, I think particularly for people of uh, South Asian descent where, uh, you know, diabetes and high blood pressures are, are, are very much a, a genetic thing that's passed down. You know, why spike your blood pressure watching a movie when you can just do it with uh, Indian sweets? Simple, yes, simple that's answer. very common, actually. Um, for me, my first scary movie was when I was 10 or 11. Um, and it's probably the worst one, and it's uh, it's the exact the exact thing that you said. I watched The Grudge, um, oh and that was God. that was probably the worst one. Um, I feel that like was tough as like an adult. Though. Yeah, yeah. Japan the the kind of Japanese horror stuff, um, and I I very very briefly looked into like everything that in terms of Japanese horror that didn't come to America. Uh, that shit is spooky as fuck. Mm. Uh, I stayed so far away from it. There's one scene in particular, like. The, the like there's like the classic one where like the girl's like walking upside down there's one where like she's sleeping she lifts her bed sheet and there's like a little boy there there's one that caught me the most off guard and like i can still picture vividly in my head it's where she's just like on the bus and there's like shutters on the bus and the shutters are kind of like every once in a while when the bus hits like a bump on the road the shutters move and there's a point where like the shutters move and you just see like the girl's face and then the shutters move again and it's gone and like oh man i'm getting 
getting sweaty just thinking about Speaking it. Speaking of the grudge, a tip this year, I saw a film that was in Japanese called The Grudge versus The Ring. Oh, my and God. It was a house yeah, that was possessed by both oh, of the demons. <laughs> and I got, like, it was kind of funny because at that time I was like, you know, the acceleration of me getting into horror films that had really kicked off. Right. Uh, like, in fact, in September, but like, holy shit, it was yeah. still like. This is the new Freddy versus Jason, essentially. It kind of, yeah, mm. in the Japanese context, yeah. for sure. <laughs> holy shit, that is amazing. Um, we're getting close to the end of this episode, but as always, we have to hit our favorite segment, our only segment of the show, sponsored by Campbell's Soup. Shout out to our sponsors, Campbell's, uh, called Soup of the Day. We're, we're now calling it Soup of the Day. It used to be called Soup It Up, but shout out to our last guest, Taryn, for uh, accidentally calling it Soup of the Day. We just like it better. Soup It Up is still pretty good. Yeah, it is pretty good, yeah. Um, yeah, Navate, good job, man. That was a great name. Thank um, you. You know, sometimes we're going to call it Soup It Up, sometimes we'll call it Soup of the Day. Whatever. Who soup cares? is too hot. Yeah, the soup is too hot. Exactly. Um, so let's, so the segment essentially is just a moment for you to air out something shitty that happened to you, something shitty that someone's done very recently, or something that you just feel like you need to get off your chest. You know, it could have happened today, could be about to happen in the future, um, or it could be something that, you know, along the lines of this restless podcast has taken place to you during your time in filmmaking um, that you think is worth sharing with us uh, i know navik has one right off the bat that he wants to share with us so go ahead man please uh you have a couple one just happened last night i was with uh my girlfriend shout out to marusha and she was like we're talking about businesses that were closing mm. and then one was like uh due to liquidation she was like to me uh what's liquidation because i went to business school uh shout out to ryerson <laughs> um didn't do much for me but this went into receivership <laughs> <a liquidation. laughs> but i was like I don't know. I don't know what that is. I went to five years of business school. I don't know what liquidation really is. And I was like, damn. Um, so this one, a big, um, a big fuck you to Ryerson Business School. Do a better job. But like, come on. If I don't, bro, I even I know what liquidation means. Exactly. Even, even he knows. All right. And he did not step into uh, Ted Rogers Business School. So to all the professors I had, to um, the people that accepted me into your school and allowed me to graduate. Um, do a little bit better at your job. <laughs> uh, maybe fix up, teach people better. To Google, um, fuck you to not suggesting <laughs> liquidation as a search term for New Vegas. Exactly. So that's you, you know what it means now, though, right? Yeah. Now I'm now I'm good. You want to share? I googled it. Shout out to Google. Yeah. <laughs> you want to do you want to share it with us? Um, it's when a business closes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> If you uh, if you want to know the real exact details, there's a Wikipedia page on it. Should so we, should we when put a business closes and they have assets that are not in cash format, they sell them to try to recoup their costs so that they're in liquid cash format. So that if they're in receivership or they're trying to pay off other debts, it's easier for them to trans uh, transfer the value of that asset into you know a, a loan that's outstanding specifically. Or yeah. that's how I've understood. This segment sponsored by Kumon Learning. <laughs> you want to get your grades this up. This has actually just been a long time to produce uh, Kumon, you know, satellite <laughs> right. study centers. Yeah, Every exactly. episode's leading up to this point. <laughs> Thank you now. We have you hooked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you go to Kumon? I did. To Ku- I, w- I went to Kumon in Pickering, um, kind of somewhere on Finch Road. There's like the Seventh Day Adventist church yep. that had a Kumon in like the main floor. Right. Uh, yeah. 
I know exactly. Is it right across the street from the graveyard? Um, yeah, yeah. That's Finch the one. Fairport? Yeah. Oh, good location. Yeah, yeah, great location. Great location. <laughs> Life Very and quiet. Death. Yeah. <laughs> Life and death. Or death and death. Death and death. That yeah, way. exactly. That's how you look at it. Um, how about you, Alex? Do you have any, uh, do you uh, have any soup it up or soup of the day? Worthy yeah, stories? so this is kind of interesting that we're doing this in my apartment because it'll give you some context for how to imagine this okay. story. So I have some very strange neighbors. This doesn't have to do about work, by the way. No, no, not at all. It's more just like a life activation. Great, totally. So I have neighbors upstairs who um, I think are probably by 20 to 25 years the oldest people who live in the building. Okay. And they do something very strange that they kind of announced to me on the day that I uh, moved in. When I moved in, like a year and a half ago. Like, oh, hi, welcome. You know, here's my card unless there's a problem. Oh, just by the way, we feed the raccoons. And, you know, even if we didn't feed them, they'd still come by. So we put some food out for them. And I was just like, at the time, I, could, I thought it was kind of funny. Like, Haha, okay, yeah, sure. This has been like one of the biggest fucking pains in my ass. Because it's like every single night they come to, to get the food. And I don't think they put up food every night. But they put it out most nights. And for some reason, they don't shit upstairs where they put the food. Right. They go to down go down to the next level right. where my deck is yeah okay and they shit there <laughs> in the same fucking spot like in a little cluster almost as though they've is- established in their little raccoon brains <laughs> like it's like that's the raccoon litter box yeah. Yeah. and i can see it with great deal and articulation what their diet consists of and and because i can see there's like holes in the deck above oh shit so uh some of the food that they they, they throw out uh, throw out for the raccoons goes through the cracks and like the seeds are everywhere but then i see the seeds in their shit so yeah. i'm seeing the seeds in two ways wow and if i you know after a while then it rains and then the seeds have like a coating that like breaks <laughs> down and then makes the back patio very slippery yeah, so sure. not only is it shit covered it's slippery now because of this dissolving food and this is a problem that compiles and compiles and compounds right you know, I, I there's really no solution for it because it's like I have landlords that you know probably undervalue this apartment and, yeah. they, and they're very absentee. So I don't really want to get too much on their case yeah. about them to fix it. And also, like I kind of in protest, you know, probably play music a little bit. Less. You see, like I got turntables set up. And for shit. sure. Yeah. You know, I I use the up until yeah. 11 p.m. quota a little bit more aggressively than I should. That's totally fair. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it drives me fucking nuts. Yeah, you can't feed the street. Don't feed raccoons. Yeah, don't feed the street they're raccoons. D- they're menaces to society. Yeah. They are. No disrespect to that film. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Like, it's a great film. Yeah. Wow. Fucking raccoons, man. But are you ever leaving your, your place at like night and you see a big raccoon just right oh there? Oh my God, all the time. There's sometimes because, uh, you know, when it's transitioning from winter to summer and you don't necessarily want to have your air conditioning on because you want to save that hydro, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll leave the back door open and, you know, I don't have a screen. So one time one of those fuckers like got into the house Oh no! and I heard That's it like disgusting. rummaging, like probably got as far up as the fridge there. This is, doesn't mean anything to anybody who doesn't know the layout <laughs> of this undisclosed recording location. Right. Uh, and I had to chase the thing out. And I chased him out, and he didn't go towards the stairs. He went towards the area that has an overhang. And he, like, got stuck and started, like, doing that ugly raccoon hiss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah pretty it's much. terrifying. And this is, like, just a raccoon hub back oh, here. Oh, man. You know, they fight. They shit. They scare me. It's terrible. Yeah, thank, you, thank you for listening to that uh, airing of grievances. Your home is their home now. Yeah. Um, if I, I don't know how much I could suggest here, but maybe you could, uh, you could just crack open a bottle of like sriracha hot sauce and just kind of like lay that out on your thing and 
see if that affects their uh, like pooping patterns or just like affects them a little bit. Sriracha is expensive, and that's a very irresponsible <laughs> way to, to to use that. I think maybe I should buy like like a super soaker and sure. fill it with like white vinegar because okay. non-lethal. Yep. But also very annoying to be sprayed with. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. What do they hate? They have to hate my some. happiness. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's true. <laughs> Cleanliness. <laughs> Oh, oh my One goodness. time I saw when I lived in Scarborough, I got off the bus to walk to my house and I saw the duo of a possum and a raccoon oh, right in front of my door. And I was like, I'm not going home tonight. <laughs> I walked in and went to a friend's house. Like, it's not worth it. <laughs> like, <laughs> were they just hanging out? Like, <laughs> yeah, they're, I don't know what they're doing. Like, they were literally just uh, sitting there. Street animals have now understood, in their little raccoon heads, have now understood the concepts of solidarity and are just like. In their community, the rodent <laughs> exactly. community. Yeah. Oh. The rodent communities are, uh, are finally it, coming it's together. It's kind of like real life red wall if you ever yeah. remember those books when you were yeah that's up. exactly what's happening <laughs> holy shit <laughs> um so as we said we've we've just about come to the end of this episode we wanted to conclude on a uh on a slightly reflective note giving that you are probably the only person we've come across who has dabbled in filmmaking and, and worked in film um you know Something that, as you also very briefly mentioned earlier with Lucy Kay and so much of male Hollywood just kind of being ousted uh-huh. for, for what's what we now understand is awful sexual assault. Um, I'm curious to know what kind of conversations you you feel are, are being had in your social spheres or in your work spheres. Uh, do you think conversations are being had? Do you think, um, you know, it has impacted anyone in a meaningful way where steps you know people want to take steps i mean obviously it has been such a short period of time but um it also has been such shocking news that i feel like it is almost it's 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 entered everyone's kind of thought process you know so i'm curious yeah. to know you know what I, the past couple weeks or months has been like for there's you. definitely been a lot of conversation like probably almost on a daily basis mostly because it feels like every day when we you know open the trades it's like somebody else is being you know exposed right. as being somebody who's abusing using their power to abuse uh women in the workplace mm. or just like in general um it's like a daily thing i, I mean specifically because it's the shock of just how widespread it's been i, I mean up until recently uh, you know jeffrey tambor was like probably one of my my favorite um comedians yeah. um, mostly you know his work on the larry sanders show then I wasn't so much into Arrested Development, but, you know, and then, like, kind of, like, his later life role in um, Transparent, it was, like, uh, I was, like, this is amazing. Like, yeah. what a great guy. And then all of these stories came forward, and then his response to them, I just found, like, to be so, like, lackluster. Yeah. Just him, like, f- for example, um, yeah, it's, like, it's 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 terrible, but it's also, I'm really happy now that it seems like, it, like a big tidal wave is yeah. sort of... Um, Washing all the the raccoon shit, yeah, out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, out of uh, out of you know, it's, it's outing these people. I mean, I've been pretty fortunate that honestly, through no mandate, you know, and just looking for for strong projects like the last like four films, I think that I've worked on as a producer have all been female directed, mm-hmm. and that wasn't even like a mandate. That was just like trying to look for the best stories that were available to us. And um, not that we exclusively work with female directors yeah. in that creative um, helm, but you know, I I think like for any man who works in the industry, who's like part of the community, like who isn't a piece of shit, it's just a great opportunity to like, you know, not to shut up, to yeah. listen, um, you know, and just just be aware. Yeah. More, you know, 
and uh, I think that's kind of been the big takeaway with like me and my like male colleagues it's just like oh wow like I, I probably knew it existed maybe not seeing that like I don't know who Harvey Weinstein is like mm. I don't know Louis CK of course other as much as you guys would yeah or any of these other people who are um, kind of like getting toppled but it's like now it's just important to like I don't know as it always should have been to, to listen to women and yeah. just pay attention when they speak. Yeah, uh, yeah man. Absolutely. I know that it sounds so like simplistic to say it. It kind of sucks that it, it yeah, has yeah, to come yeah. across like that. But no kidding. Yeah. So it's, it's even like, all, you know, just educating yourself more as like a man, just about fem feminism specifically mm. and, and just realizing like, you know, feminism really just is about men and women like really being equal and and the thing as a man like not even really being aware at the to to the degree of the inequality that just exists in the world that we've been born into yeah um so yeah i mean i got a lot more to learn definitely but i i think every day i just try to keep my my mind and my myself open yeah man to realizing you know areas that I've been ignorant and yeah. to, to grow and change because what else can you really do? Man, usually we uh, we end this episode by going around here asking everyone to uh, hit us with the final word, but I think that's a perfect way to summarize yeah, this great. episode, man. Cool. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I for, hope this is uh, this has been fun for you. It's Cathartic. been a lot of fun. I, I hope, you know, there's I, we talked to, I spoke about something interesting. I, Most definitely. And uh, we'll, I drank uh, a lot of water. I noticed that you guys didn't drink as much yeah, water. Yeah, you know, I'm going to crush it because I'm all about cranking them back so yeah hitting those waters cracking <laughs> it cold over with the boys that's exactly it, glasses man. of water at alex's house <laughs> yeah sober gang 2018 um i'm chris aka chris aka not chris aka the tamil hemingway aka mr date your girl with you aka bash me outside because i'll fight i just get beat up aka little poopy dirt i'm even the vape aka the vape aka aziz bansar aka the tamil tyrese aka low couch and We're here with uh, Anthony Suvakis, aka Alejandro Ordanches, aka Gluckman on SoundCloud, Ooh. and uh, Alex Ordanis. Is what my mom calls my mom calls me Alexander, but you can call me Alex. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna make sure to uh, to link fuck buddies and some other cool shit at the bottom of this podcast. If you like this podcast, or if you didn't like this podcast, please comment on our SoundCloud. We keep telling you you bastards to go to our curious cat page and ask us some cool questions you don't want to listen to us so now i'm going to yell at you this is what happens you know i'm taking after my immigrant parents right now okay i'm trying to learn i'm trying to be better help me be better curious cat.me forward slash high top flip-flops just ask us some cool shit man we just want to answer some cool shit god damn ask it. us bad questions too really. yeah ask us it's bad questions fine we'll still talk about them we'll talk shit about you too it's gonna be great yeah. it's episode 33 <laughs> 33 probably. 33 probably. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys soon. Bye-bye. Thanks.